morning, guys. It's good to be with you. I, uh, I said at the, f- at the first service, I feel the same way in this one. My heart just breaks for Cindy. I knew I know Cindy. I knew Paul. I'm related to many first responders. There's just no good way around it except for Jesus. There's just no joy outside of Jesus, y'all. He was a great man and a, a young man. And so I'm grateful that today, I'm grateful for the opportunity to start in prayer, and I'm grateful for the change of the times because there are times where in our service, in our lives, we just we can't rush through stuff. Praying for one another is something we just can't rush through. Sometimes we need to learn how to sit with each other in the pain and in the stuff, and whether it's them or whether it's you, we need time together as the body. This is team huddle. This is where we make the gospel come alive so we can go out there and we can preach and teach and live with a boldness that tells people there's a reason to hope, even when things happen that make our minds just kind of where we throw up our hands and say, I I don't understand. I don't understand. And so I'm grateful. Thanks, Aaron, for taking that time for being such a great pastor. And I'm grateful that in addition to taking that time to pray, that we're also happen to be ending our time today on this four-week journey that we've been in spiritual warfare, that we are ending with prayer. I think that prayer is probably, no, not even probably, the most underutilized weapon of the believer. I think a lot of us were raised to kind of think of prayer as I don't know, a number of things. For me, it was kind of sheepishly coming before God to confess all the things that I did wrong. I always kind of compared my prayer life to other people and that I had to sound a certain way or my body posture had to be a certain way for God to hear me because I was a perpetual sinner. And it was only when I started to be taught the full counsel of God that I realized that there is power in prayer that it is not simply me telling God all the things that are wrong in the world, although he wants to hear them. But it is about talking to him and sharing our hearts with him. But guess what, guys? He also wants to communicate with us. He wants to download things. He wants to tell us things. He wants to encourage us in things. He wants to give us supernatural vision and wisdom and insight. So I'm grateful today that we're ending with prayer and I'm grateful to the pastors of the Aspen Grove Network and to each of you that you've been willing to journey with us through this concept and this conversation around spiritual warfare. When I was a kid growing up, spiritual warfare, even talking about Satan, was kind of a no-no. It was kind of a weird thing. Did anyone else grow up with that? It was kind of two camps theologically that it rested in. One was, I had people say, if you talk about Satan, you're elevating him above God, and so we just didn't talk about it at all. Or we were kind of the horror incorporated, Godzilla, all of that kind of stuff, darkness, and and we lived in those two camps. And I can tell you that what started to happen to me is that as I grew in my faith in God, neither one of those camps were sufficient to help me to stand firm as a Christian, When I started to literally ask questions like, okay, if God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind, where did the spirit of fear come from? 
If no weapon formed against me shall prosper, where is that weapon coming from? If scripture tells me I don't need to be ignorant of the devil's devices, who is the devil? And why am I afraid of an entity when Jesus Christ has already conquered death, hell, and the grave? Not having a robust, broad theological understanding of who God is and who Satan is makes God sometimes very small and Satan very large. It looks like darkness is always winning. And so it's really important that we take time to teach you all these things because the gospel is true. We don't need to be ignorant of the devil's devices. And many of us have been, not by any fault of our own, but because we have not been taught fully. And so Today is the culmination of four weeks, but I've got to tell you that I've been studying spiritual warfare for over two decades, and there's so much that we can understand, but I will tell you this more than anything. It has helped me walk in this world as a believer with a different stance. When I put on the full armor of God and I walk in this world, it doesn't mean that things don't overwhelm me or frighten me, but I remind myself of who my God is and I start to walk in a different understanding of who I am. Guys, it's important to know that while principalities hear me, rulers and authorities and spiritual rulers of this world are real. Those are words that Paul uses in Ephesians 6 where we've been landing. While they are real, they are no match or comparison for Jesus. Sometimes when we talk about Satan, we put Satan here and we put God here. Or we put Satan here and we put Jesus here. No, Satan is here and Jesus is here. There is no match what allows Satan to creep up in his power in our lives is oftentimes, unbeknownst to us, the power that we give him. The words that we say. The way our minds come into agreement with darkness. The way that we often straddle the spiritual fence with one foot in the world and worldly pleasures and the other foot in the world and it makes us un not powerful. Scripture decrees and talks about us in many ways as a body. We are talked about as a family, and we are. We are talked about as children of God, and we are. Scripture describes us as one body with many parts, and we are. But Scripture also talks about us as an army, and we are. We are fighting unseen forces. It is not anything that we need to be overwhelmed with, but I will tell you that it is real. I will tell you that the enemy is real. We can oftentimes feel him raging on the inside of us. I had to be delivered from a spirit of anger that would rise up in me and it felt as though it was something I could not control. That when we surrender our lives over to Jesus Christ, a lot of times we have some spiritual residue. We have unforgiveness. We have things that have been left unsaid and undone and unattended in our lives. And our lives look like a spiritual tug of war because we've got one foot still in our past and we're trying to get one foot in the present. May I be here today to preach some freedom to you and to give you some encouragement that you can be free and every stronghold and every demonic attack over you, your children, your generation, your life and your mind shall be broken in Jesus Christ by the power of his name and by your decisive decision to live in power. The devil does not get to have control over our lives. 
So today, as we think about these weapons of warfare, I want us to unpack the reality of what this means for us as believers. And I want to start with a portion of scripture coming from 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 6, because I think these three verses help us to kind of encapsulate where we've been trying to take you these last four weeks. And I hope that this whets your appetite If you're a person, let me say this, if you're a person that wants to understand spiritual warfare more, if you want to know the difference between spiritual warfare and deliverance and when does it go awry, I'm happy to give you as many resources as I have. Because once you understand it, you will live a bit differently. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 6, what does it say? For though we live in the world, the natural world, we do, not wage war, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take every cap- captive, every thought, to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth in his second letter. He is talking to Christians. Christians who are in a time and a culture where they're being buffeted, where they're experiencing many things. And he's writing to encourage this church to remember who they are and whose they are. And he makes some very clear distinctions that I think encapsulate warfare for us fairly well. What did he say? Though we live in the world, though we live in natural bodies, in a physical space, we do not wage war as the world does. That means we don't take up uh, guns and those kind of things while they exist here. For the believer, for the Christian, our primary weaponry is not something that we hold in our hands. He says, on the contrary, the weapons we fight with have divine power to demolish strongholds. Did you know that you are given weapons with divine power? That means imbued by God. You have been given weapons to defeat the enemy in your mind, in your home, in your marriage, in your lineage. You have supernatural divine power given by God to do what? To demolish. Not just put down, to obliterate strongholds. What is a stronghold? A stronghold is a mindset or a situation that shackles you, that drags you like an undertow, that makes you feel weak and incapable. It is like uh, being chained to a rock where you are trying desperately to live for God, but you have this residue, this leftover thing. For me, as I said, that stronghold when I was growing up was anger. I did not know where it came from because I was, in all intensive purposes, a nice girl until I saw the manifestation of that anger in other family members. And I started to see that there were things that were in my life that I inherited. If you were to look in the mirror 
And I were to hold up a mirror to you and say, who do you look like in the natural? Your mom, your dad, your grandma, or in the, in the natural, you might say, yeah, I look like my mom. If I were to put up a picture of my parents, you'd be like, whoa, you look like your mom. But who do you look like in the, in the, in the spiritual? What have you inherited spiritually? Some of us have inherited some great things, but some of us have inherited some mess. And rather than being taught about spiritual warfare, we just thought, okay, I'm going to surrender my life to Christ and I'm just going to go on and things will be fine. You've got to learn how to sever some things and take the sword of the spirit and say, that spirit of divorce that has followed my family for five generations ends with me. See, there are spiritual principles that we haven't been taught and some of us just drag these things around because nobody's taught us that things can end with you. Anyone got some stuff in your family that you want to say it ends with me? Alcoholism ends with me. Brokenness on that level ends with me. Some of those things can end with us when we learn the power to demolish strongholds. And then Paul says we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of Christ. So not only are we battling with things within, he's saying we're battling mindsets. How many of you know that's a reality in the world that we're in right now? We're battling against a, a, a culture, a post-Christian culture. We're battling against new atheism. We're battling against all kinds of mindsets that would say Christianity is dumb. We're battling against an always lead to God and whatever is good for you is good for you mindset. Part of this is why I study all kinds of things, including atheism. I don't study atheism because I like to hear people talk horribly about Jesus. I study atheism because it's important to know the arguments that people have. And for me, according to 1 Peter 3.15, to be able to have a reason for the hope that lies within me. Dear brothers and sisters, your job is not simply to show up in church. It is to defend the gospel with your life. When someone comes up to you and says, why do you follow Jesus? Why not Buddha? Why not Allah? Why not Krishna? Why not Shintoism, Taoism, Taoism, New Ageism? Why Jesus? Do you have an answer? Have an answer. A three-minute elevator speech. And if you don't know the reason for all those things, that's fine. Simply tell them who you were before Christ. I was a hot mess, a dumpster fire. I used to go to church all my life and could lie and could get anything I wanted from my parents. I could convince you of any kind of thing because I was a nice girl. How many of you know you got to know people by the spirit, not how they look? You've got to be able to examine people because people can lie to your face and be convincing. But when you have the spirit of the living God on the inside, of you could say, okay. Okay, yeah, that's great. Praise God. <laughs> I'm going this way. We've got to stop being in a world that tries to divide us based on how we look. I've told you all this before. I'll say it again. We are more family than the family that I have at home who look just like me and are not following Jesus. Why? Because if we're purchased by the same blood, that makes us family. Welcome to the family reunion. Welcome to being soldiers in the army. It's true, you all, because when we start to see ourselves as family, we'll be a little more reluctant to be so nasty to one another. So kind of simplistic. Maybe we'll pray for one another a little bit more. Maybe we'll stop listening to the world and the devil's devices and the negativity and the things he does to try to divide us. It's all distraction. 
We are being distracted by the arguments of the world while people die, and we have the hope of eternity in our hearts, in our mouths, and in our hands. So as we think about this, Paul is saying, listen, there's external weapons. There is weapons that we have that can demolish strongholds, and then we've got to demolish arguments. I mentioned earlier today, for those of you who geek out on reading new things, there is a gentleman named Justin Brierley. Have any of you ever heard of Justin Brierley? Justin Brierley is a British guy who has an amazing new book called The Surprising Rebirth of Belief in God. Justin Brierley's podcast is named the same exact thing, The Surprising Rebirth of Belief in God. And what Justin Brierley is doing is talking to people who were former atheists, former agnostics, others who were world brilliant people who had great power in the world, who have come to actually be challenged in their faith and have come to Christianity because they realized how many holes there were in their belief systems. And that Jesus Christ, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, gives people a reason for hope and answers the reality of the problem of evil. It helps us to understand good versus evil in the world. It gives us an answer for sin. Christianity is robust and powerful. And so I want to commend Justin Brierley to you and his podcast to you. Because if we are going to demolish strongholds and arguments and pretensions that set themselves up against the knowledge of God, that fly in the face of Christianity, we've got to be able to study and understand what the opponent is trying to bring in front of us. Y'all with me? So as we do that, let's quickly recap what we have tried to teach you in the 20 verses that we've given you in Ephesians, this is a quick recap what we've tried to give you over the last several weeks. And look, I have 4A and 4B. I meant to have six points and I gave you 4A and 4B. Number one, what did we tell you in week one? Protect your relationships. When we talk about spiritual warfare, recognize and understand that Satan comes to do what? John 10.10 10 says the thief one of the names for Jesus comes but for two. The only reason he comes is to steal, kill, and destroy. He's trying to steal your joy, your identity, your mindset, the peace of your children, your church homes, your community, your culture. He's trying to steal it all. But, I love the holy but, but Jesus said, I have come that you would have life. That Greek word is zoe life. That is a God-shaped life. It is a life with power and purpose. I have come to do the very flip of what the enemy is trying to do. I have come to give you the kind of life that may not be without challenges, but it is full of purpose and it is full of joy. And so I want you to consider protecting your relationships because Satan will use your relationships. He will use your spouse. He will use your siblings who you're not in relationship with. He will use your children. He will use the fact that you are temperamental. He will use those things to keep a wide open gap in your life. And if he has access to your children or access to you, how many of you know that he will weasel his way in and he will start a path of destruction? Pay attention to when things start to go awry in your household and nip it in the bud in prayer. We're not going there. We're not doing that. If we need to take a break from each other, let's do it. But let's come back and pray because we know what this is about. Any of you ever gotten in an argument with your spouse or someone and you don't even know what the argument was about? 
and you can't even remember? Except for those of you who keep a long record of wrongs. How many of you ever been in arguments like that or you get angry and you don't even know why you're angry? Those are the ways that the enemy sneaks in. So we've got to be a bit more aware. Protect your relationships. Pray for one another. As brothers and sisters in Christ, spouses, single folk, pray. Pray for yourself. Pray for those around you. Pray for your neighbors. Pray for your municipalities. Pray for each other. Number two, find your strength in the Lord and in his extraordinary power. This is coming again from Ephesians 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. That is what Paul says. What does that mean for us in regard to warfare? Find your strength in and through your relationship with the Lord. So many of us have tried to be Christians through our own strength or works righteousness. Let me prove to God that I'm good enough. That's how it was for me. That's how I grew up. That's what that prayer life for me was like, is always wanting God to know that how perpetually sorry I was for failing him. I was never quite good enough. I always kind of felt like my spiritual life was walking around moping. That's not what he wants and needs from us. Jesus Christ did not die for us to be walking around sheepishly moping around. That is not why he died. It is not why he took the keys to death, hell, and the grave. It is not why he sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for us now. If you don't feel like you are loved by God, change your thinking. You are loved by God. He told us so throughout the word. So find your strength in the Lord. When you feel like you are at your weakest, that is when he is just beginning. That is when he is just doing his very best work. Surrender to him in prayer. Tell him, God, I don't got it today. I feel at my weakest today. God, I messed up. I yelled at my kids. I was mean to my coworker. I just have a bad attitude today, God. I need a vacation from my vacation. Find your strength in the Lord and in his identity that he never fails, that he'll never leave or forsake you. Don't be ignorant. We've talked about this, of the reality of Satan and other principalities and powers. Now, be, let's be real. Satan's not around every corner and every tree, and every situation that you experience isn't Satan's fault. Some of it is just you. <laughs> you enough on your own. Satan don't got to do everything for you. How many of you know you enough on your own? <laughs> we want to make Satan the reality of everything. God's like, nope, <laughs> that was you. But there are times where we start to experience things and we know that that's not just something in the natural. And we don't always know what to do about it, but we don't have to be ignorant of his devices or principalities or powers or how they operate. So instead, let's study, let's know this, let's know who our enemy is, let's know who our opponent is so that we can increase our opportunities to win these battles on a daily basis. Number four, a, I guess we'll call it. Intimacy with God is essential. Trust him. I don't know about the rest of you, but so much of my prayer life was just this way. I was just telling God all the stuff that irked me in life. Anyone else been a prayer like that? God, I'm, I got a list of things to tell you today about the way that your creation is jacked up. God, like, that's great. Let's start with you because you're jacked up all by yourself. But the reality is, as God wants to communicate, if we are intimate with him this way, it makes things this way so much more doable. Start your day talking with him. I know a lot of us are like, you know, have the mugs that say, but first coffee. You need to change that, but first Jesus. Because your coffee is not enough for everybody to deal with you for a whole day. You need Jesus first. 
Your spouse, let me tell your spouse, uh, babe, you need to talk to Jesus first. Then you can have coffee because uh, we don't have till noon before you get your act together, right? So the reality is, is we need to go to Jesus first. We need to go to him. When you open your eyes in the morning, and I'm not always perfect at this, but I open my eyes in the morning. God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. I know that the minute my feet hit this ground, I'm going to start running. So thank you for this day. Thank you for what you've given me. Thank you for my family. Thank you for my children. Thank you, Lord God, for every governing municipality. Thank you, Lord God, that every individual under the sound of my voice and under my care shall receive the best of me because I am your child. God, thank you that I walk in love. God, thank you that I put on the full armor of God today, the belt of truth. Jesus, you are truth, the breastplate of righteousness, where I guard my heart because out of my heart flow the issues of life. Lord, I'm going to put on the shoes of peace and everywhere I go, I'm going to take up the ground and give the good news. God, today I put on the helmet of salvation, remembering whose I am and that I am saved by grace through faith, not by works. Lord, help me to hold up this shield of faith by which I quench all the fiery darts of the evil one because the enemy is just coming at me. But thank you, Lord God, that my faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And thank you, Lord, that my sword of the spirit is sharp and ready. That the sword of the spirit is the word of God and I fight as Jesus fought with it is written. And I declare the word of God over my children, over my neighborhood, over my community and over my church in Jesus' name. I thank you that I am who you say I am and I will do what you say I will do. I thank you that I'm unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Y'all see where I'm going? You get that word in your belly and you start to decree and declare some things as a soldier in the army of the Lord. You lay your hands on your children. You dress them in that weaponry. You teach them that when they go in their schools, they are going as ambassadors of God, not just your children. Teach your kids early because if you don't, the enemy will. He's got plenty of plans and how many of you are going to say, not today, not my kid, not my grandkids? No, okay, just me? Okay. All right, well, I'll pray for your grandkids then because y'all are not calling response today. I'm trying to talk to y'all better. Answer me. Listen. <laughs> Number four, it says, put on the full armor of God daily. See that each one of those pieces are spiritual. Those are weapons that have been given to you purposefully. And number five, it says, pray continually. That's where we're landing on all occasions and in agreement with the spirit. Pray for one another and pray for the church. Where does that come? Ephesians chapter six, verses 18 through 20. Paul says this as he rounds this up. And as we wrap this up, he says, pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kind of prayers and requests. That should free somebody. It's not about your perfection. Pray all kind of prayers. Make all kind of requests to God. God, I have no idea what I'm doing and I'm getting ready to go into this meeting. Can you please help, please help me? God, I'm struggling to forgive that person. I really am. I know that you and I have been together on this before, but I'm struggling, God. Pray all kinds of prayers. They don't need to be eloquent or remember the prayer that Jesus taught us. His disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. I'll teach you, our Father, who art in heaven, the Holy One, the great I Am, the one who conquers all things, to be hallowed, to be holy, is your name. Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done, not mine, on earth as it is in heaven. That means line everything up, Lord. Let heaven look like earth and let earth look like heaven. 
Let a supernatural flow of your power be here. Give us this day, what do you say, our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses. Forgive us for the things that we've done wrong as we forgive those. Don't just ask for forgiveness, but God, help me to forgive those who have hurt me. Lord, help me not to be led into temptation, but deliver us from evil, seen and unseen. For yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory forever and ever. So Paul says, keep on praying for the Lord's people. And then he said, pray for me. So I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray for Pastor Aaron. Pray for your pastors. Pray for the people who are over there caring for your children. Pray for them that when we are up here, we're not just preaching some gospel that we want to preach, but we're speaking as we ought to speak in a way that empowers you. Philippians chapter 6 through 8 is another way of looking at this. Don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then he says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the peace of God will be with you. Again, you've been given permission to bring all kind of prayers, all kind of petitions. They don't have to be pretty. They don't have to have a bow tied to them. They just need to be real. And hear me, it's not the position of your body. If you want to be on your knees, great. If you're sitting in your car, in your truck, great. It's the position of your heart before God that matters. Is your heart pure? Are you holding anything back from him? Or you're saying, God, I'm giving you everything I have. I'm giving you my heart. I'm giving you my honest, true, real reality. God, I'm hurting and then he says, keep your mind, not just on those things as you pray, but then think on the things that are true and lovely and pure and just and righteous. How do you think about those things and find those things? You find them in the gospel. You find them in discipleship. You find them by growing up together. Okay, Pastor Laurel, that's great. Our crock pots are on. We got to go. Okay, so here's how I want to wrap things up so you guys can go home to eat whatever you're going to eat. How then should we pray? What are we supposed to do? This is the so what and the now what. What did Paul say? Pray in the spirit with all kind of prayers. I won't go into prayer language today, but pray in the spirit. Pray with the Holy Spirit's help. Holy Spirit, help me to pray the way that I ought. And the word of God tells us that when we don't know how to pray, we can groan. We can, when we don't know what to say, sometimes it's just God help. Sometimes your tears are a prayer. Sometimes just crossing your arms and sitting on the floor is a prayer. But keep your heart open. Keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Guys, pray for me. If you think to be a mature believer, do you think to be a pastor is an easy thing? You've got it completely wrong. It's one of the hardest things to be called to do. It's hard to please people when you're preaching. And it's hard to please people. It's hard to be where you need to be. It's hard for the enemy not to bring resentment. Pray for us that we can be the kind of people that will keep standing when the world gets darker. 
Pray for each other. Pray for this church. Pray for the lost people outside of here. Pray for the high schools where the enemy is walking around, where destruction, where depression, where anxiety are trying to take our kids out. Go up to your school and just walk around the school. And as you go, pray, Lord, we're taking up this ground for the, in Jesus' name. I thank you that every kid in this high school shall know you in the name of Jesus. I don't care if they call the police, let them call, because the police just take the hand by the police. Come on, you walking too. We all walking. Sergeant, let's go. We walking in the name of Jesus. We're praying. You can't argue with prayer, y'all. Pray for your leadership and pray for freedom from fear and the ability to speak boldly. Listen, the worship team's going to come up, but I'm going to end with one of my favorite um, quotes by a mentor of mine named Dr. John K. Jenkins, pastor of First Baptist Church of Glen Arden in Maryland. And he says this about prayer. He said, I have rarely prayed for an hour, but there is rarely an hour that I have not prayed. A lot of us may feel like, well, I got to pray for an hour. And if you're an intercessor, meaning you have a particular passion for prayer, you may pray for an hour or two. But for some of us who feel like, man, I have a hard time just paying attention. Anyone try to start to pray and then you start to think about the load of laundry you left in there last night? <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, I got to go to the grocery store. We're out of milk. Okay, that's one of those ways, simple things the enemy tries to do to distract you. And the next thing you know, you don't even remember what you were praying for. I love how John frees us to say, listen, in this life, I don't always have an hour to pray, but there's never been an hour that I have not prayed. That means talk to God regularly, all the time. Wherever you go, every hour, every minute, every second, you can never talk too much to God. You can never pray too much. Just talk to him regularly, constantly. Let your prayer life be one of just talking to God and saying, God, I just want to thank you for today. I just want to thank you for my brother. I just want to thank you for my sister. I just want to thank you for life. I just want to thank you, Lord God, that you're with us in brokenness, that you're with Paul and Cindy. I just want to thank you, God, that you're a deliverer and a healer, that you hear me when I pray. Guys, just keep praying. Prayer is a powerful weapon. And the enemy wants you to think that you're not powerful. But the devil is a liar because when we all lift up our voices before God, even in the smallest ways, you will find that things start to shift. Attitudes start to shift. Mindsets start to shift. People start to shift. There is power in prayer and there is power in you. So fight the good fight of faith. God is with you and if God is for us, who can be against us? What can man do to us? We are more than conquerors in Christ. Thank you for being here this morning. We love you all. You are more than conquerors. Let's keep fighting this fight of faith in Jesus' name. Let's stand and worship.